I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today, we talk with Andrew George. He's a seeker, photographer, and I also believe an educator on the subject of end of life. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Hi, Andrew. How are you today? Very good. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us today. So tell me, how did this idea for doing photography around patients, death and dying, how did this come about? That's a big question because basically requires a bit of uh, personal psychoanalysis. Where I get my ideas from is um, probably like how a lint brush operates. Gets one little bit of something and then it accumulates and somehow um, endures more passing through clothing and then um, something sticks or it doesn't and um, this had been stewing with me for a while. I could give you 10 different reasons but I'll tell you the most succinct reason which is um, I'm a meditator and I spend an hour a day sitting. I practice Vipassana. That's given me this toolbox that I've sought out my entire life and, and now I have it and I'm so grateful every day for that. One of the things that Vipassana has helped me realize is that everything is temporary and that's a positive because it makes us relish moments and stray away from longings or regrets. And I wanted to illustrate that truth in a non-didactic way, in a very simple, personal, human way. And I figured that interviewing a dying population would really serve that purpose. Now, of course, I had to find people who were dying who had overcome that fear of death and had made peace with it, surrendered to their condition. And that in and of itself is a small percent. So you had criteria. People had to meet certain criteria. Very specifically, I did not want to simply photograph dying people. Uh, that actually seems a little macabre. I wanted to photograph people who had overcome this fear that grips all of our lives and especially strengthens during the dying process. People who could teach us something about our own lives and our own attitude towards uh, being young and healthy and perhaps learning from their mistakes and not having their regrets one day. So tell me about your collaboration with these partners to make this project happen. So many people look at projects when we're artists and creative people like, man, that's great. But us as artists and creative people know that it just didn't happen overnight. So you got this idea. And then the process was, how do I find these individuals who are accepting of their own death? But yet there's still a lot of red tape to find these individuals. So tell me your collaborative partners in this. Okay, so yes, uh, you put your finger on it. So much red tape. And more than red tape, a lot of aversion to this topic. We push it away. Old people are sick. Make way for the new. In the West, especially, we do not appreciate this life cycle. We have a very sort of specific romanticized view of the golden period, and we tap into that, and we glorify it and romanticize it, and the rest can sort of fall by the wayside. And uh, to me, that's a very incomplete way to learn about life and what's important and, and find meaning in our time here. 
So I came up with the idea four years ago, and I called around to a bunch of hospitals. I was rejected by dozens. They all thought it was odd or some reality TV thing, and it just didn't make sense. And I kind of got that because I knew that this project was going to be different, and the last thing I wanted to do was just add to millions of other photo projects and, and continue where someone else took off. I wanted to do something disruptive and different and challenging and certainly was outside my comfort zone. So I persisted and I kept on calling and then I finally um, spoke with the publicist of Providence Holy Cross and she said, I love this project. I'm going to pitch it to our palliative care doctor, Marwa Kalani, who's this wonderful Egyptian doctor located in the Northern Valley of Los Angeles. And she heard my project and said, thank you. I meet so many people whose stories need to be told. Uh, they are exceptional human beings. They have figured something out about life, and they're real role models. And for you to make this project, this is like a dream come true. So I said, wonderful. We're exactly on the same page. I said, find me patients, and she sees a few hundred every week. Find me patients that meet this criteria, who have who have found their own path through their own particular brand of grit and have their own recipes for wisdom. I want individuals that have figured something special out about getting through all this stuff. I only want to photograph people that want to be in the project. I don't want to coerce or encourage or beg anyone to do this because this is an extremely private time and uh, it goes against everything I believe in to be invasive that way. She understood that. In the course of two years, she found 20 individuals that met that criteria. And when she did find someone, I would, would get a call or a text from her and uh, I'd try and drop everything, drive an hour to the valley. I, I would try and show up because I realized that here was a little window and my subject may not be around tomorrow. And so I had to jump at it. And then I would spend three to five hours photographing, interviewing, and then finally um, having my subjects make a drawing. And what I wanted to do was to create a portrait using three colors. The colors being a photograph, answers from a list of 37 questions I had come up with, and then I wanted to give everyone a piece of 11 by 14 paper and have them write down what they were feeling because I felt that each one of these would complement the portrait of someone you're never going to meet, but who I can give you a pretty good sense of the personality of. And so the exhibit actually um, is interesting because uh, some of my subjects are shot as a close-up, others in a wide shot, but I printed the photos so everyone's head is life-size. And so each print is different. And they actually look like musical notes as they're hung on the wall. But then underneath, I printed the text in like 36-point font so that it's very legible and you can read it with your eyes open and not have to squint. You're looking up at this person saying that. And then the third element, of course, is how they put pen to paper and the way they write. And um, I, think it, I think it gives a pretty strong impression of, of these individuals. People have said that. So tell me, can you give me a sample question that was part of your questionnaire that, that you asked them? I can. I asked people about um, if they've experienced love. And then I'd have them sit with that and, and I'd ask what it felt like and who it was with. It's almost like someone peeling back the layers of their life. It really is. And these are, these are deceptively obvious questions that we have all uh, pat answers for. But um, if you really remove all of the gloss and pretext and just go down and distill the question to its bare essence, 
um, you get some pretty remarkable personal truths. And that is what I wanted to convey in this project, that a lot of the sort of propaganda about what's meaningful and fulfilling in life and what success is, uh, what we read about in the newspapers and who our current role models all are, that's a misdirect. I actually think that teaches us a lot of the wrong things. Um, we're looking outward instead of inward. And that's actually why in the exhibit, the final portrait is a life-size mirror framed in the same way as the photographic portraits. And you can look at your own portrait and ask yourself the same questions. Whoa, that's pretty intense. People have a hard time with that mirror. Uh, no one looks at it. Oh, wow. I don't know if I would look at it. But being in the death and dying industry and in hospice for 18 years, I've always been curious about death and individual journeys. So tell me, does anyone stand out in your mind that touched you? Or is there any one particular person you interviewed? I say this and I say this sincerely, they all touched me in different ways. When I just go through my days and uh, deal with little things or big things, I hear their voices in my head and they all collectively have said one thing or another that is more times than not a good response to what I'm going through and its advice. It's almost like these are modern day prophets and uh, they're advising me. In fact, in the show in San Francisco, it was pretty amazing. It was a Grace Cathedral for a month and a half. And that's an enormous space with just the grandeur that you'd expect from a cathedral. You see the stained glass reflections of the saints in the photographs and it's this lovely crossover and it's so appropriate my subjects have overcome so many things that would make most of us call ourselves victims give up say forget it i'm done with this can't take it anymore we're talking abuse lack of love from their families uh, one woman josephina's grandmother didn't care for her at all and uh, basically emotionally abused her. Other people have been raped. These are all horrific things. But to me, what's so powerful about their examples is they've said, okay, that's grist for the mill. I'm going to overcome that. And I'm going to figure out a way to find fulfillment and find happiness, regardless of this stuff that's happened. To me, that's alchemy in action, right? That's something we can all learn for because so easy to play the victim card, not to downplay anyone's suffering or difficulties, but um, to actually overcome that, to look at your issues straight on and say, okay, this is what happened. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to maximize the rest of my time here? That's bold, that's empowering, and that is what um, the most successful, and by successful I mean successful in a heart-mind way, uh, people have done to lead fulfilling lives. So collectively, with all of these individuals that you said changed your life, did they teach you any life lessons that were surprising that you're like, whoa, never saw it that way that, that you wanted to share? Everything I included in the text was that. And I had 15 hours of interview video. I set up a video camera in the corner just to record everything verbatim. And uh, 15 hours that I edited down to uh, the text that accompanies the photographs and the exhibit, and it's also in the book, and a book was published, by the way. And so some people have four lines, and other people have eight paragraphs, and it's not that one's better than another. It's just some people speak um, in a more succinct way than others. In editing, 
avoided anything that was remotely cliche that didn't resonate with me. So um, even though I'm sort of the messenger and I'm telling these 20 people's stories, it was all filtered through my preferences and 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 what I felt to be um, significant. And if someone said something like, life is really beautiful, I don't know what that means. So I could never include that. But one of my subjects said, uh, you can't build your happiness on top of someone else's unhappiness. And I hear that and I go, whoa, I uh, wish I had learned that a few years ago. <laughs> Do you think you've learned it now? <laughs> I think I have. Good, good. So tell me, this exhibit premiered not in the United States. That's true. Uh, what I did is I, I made the project having no idea how it would manifest itself. Um, I knew there would be a website. Um, I'd hope for a book, but I just didn't know. Um, I just knew that I was um, jumping off this diving board into a really uncomfortable area for me, something that uh, was not a sexy, glamorous project, not your typical LA photo project. And um, I had to do it because, uh, to me, this was um, challenging, compelling, new, innovative. It, it was hopefully going to be in the tradition that has inspired me in all the artwork that I consider my favorite or influential in my life. So I set out to do this, and I made a website, and uh, that suddenly took off. And uh, Google actually, through analytics, told me 170 different countries have visited the website What's so pleasing to me about that is it's hit this international nerve that goes beyond cultural differences, ethnic differences, sexual orientation, everything. It hits upon um, this inevitability and, and sort of brings us together. And I love that it started that conversation. And I get letters from people in Cuba, China, uh, France, uh, Russia, you name it, even Africa, where they say, thank you. Uh, this has encouraged me to slow down or I've, I've rethought a few things in my life. This has been a wake up call. And just getting those letters that has been, that's been probably the most gratifying thing in this project because I've touched regular people who I will never meet. And and to do that as an artist is um, that's that's gold. Why is this? Why? I mean, I feel like this whole death and dying movement. It seems. I mean, why do you think people are so interested in death? Is it the unknown? It is the unknown, but like with anything, there's two sides to it, right? And we can either look at something with fear-infused lenses, or uh, we can look at something with perhaps uh, rose-colored lenses, right? And um, everything's an opportunity that way, and. I think we have a design flaw. We're sort of built or conditioned to respond to fear. And it's essential in some ways. Don't touch that hot stove. But nowadays, especially with the world situation being the way it is and, and this totally uh, insane disregard for lives of, of strangers, um, and this whole notion of a terrorist taking a life of someone they've never met, I, it's inconceivable. I, I just can't wrap my head around that. But with so many unpredictable things happening, um, whether it's abroad or at a school, I think that this brings the message home that we sort of have to work on ourselves and take stock of where we're at and what's important to us. And, and I, think, I think on an individual basis, that can have the most effect um, because we do influence people in the way we deal with someone at the grocery store or how we respond to someone, whether we're patient or allow someone the ability to truly communicate their feelings. Um, and again, we're not, we're not in 
courage to do that because of the hyper efficiency of electronics and social media and and having to be so concise with everything. So I guess uh, I would say it's so important to slow down. But I don't actually remember your question. I want to answer it. <laughs> um, I think it was like, why have so many people interested in death? I think also because we have this innate fascination with death. It's this weird sort of obscure finish line that we know we're going to see one day, but it's so abstract that we can sort of cast it aside and say, oh, I don't have to do that today. Um, but But we know it's inevitable, but we certainly bury it deep. Working with dying individuals, did you learn more about life than actual death? Well, that's the interesting thing about this show. My intention was to reframe people's conception of death and dying and show that this is really about life. This whole project is about life and how to live. Uh, It is on the surface about death, but that's kind of a misdirect. My aim, and I I feel like this has been accomplished with all of the comments and, and the show premiered in Bruges, by the way, um, in 2015 and was up for five months and then due to popular demand extended to 10 months. 70,000 people saw the show. Holy cow. Then uh, it was in San Francisco, then in LA. It was sort of interesting, though, how you got it to LA. I think we have a mutual friend, Dr. Ira Biok. Yes, we do have a mutual friend. And uh, what's so great about Dr. Biok is his organization, the Institute for Human Caring, became a part of Providence two years after I finished my project. And he heard about the project and said, oh my gosh, this project is an artistic representation of the changes we're trying to make in the medical field. And it's so fascinating when there's this confluence and two different fields overlap like that. And he said, we'd love to be involved and we'd love to feature your project. What are your intentions? And I said, well, I I want to show this because having... Having it shown in public spaces and presenting this to young, old, healthy, old, uh, to all sorts of people, you know, what's more, uh, the exhibition's been shown in a museum in Belgium that's 700 years old and a cathedral in San Francisco and now a museum that that showcases tolerance in different um, ways. And so uh, what I like is it's not just photography, it's religion, it's spirituality, it's anthropology, it's sociology. It crosses over into so many genres, and I think that's really what fascinates Ira about it, too. And so when the opportunity for the L.A. show came around, he jumped at it and wanted to sponsor it by the Institute. And so um, I love that overlap, and they've been wonderful partners, and the Institute is doing tremendous things that I believe in so much. So um, it's it's really a great meeting of the minds. I agree, and it's funny how we're on opposite coast, but... Um, within the last couple of years, the same people tend to enter our lives. I, I just saw Ira Bayak a few weeks ago and had dinner with him. And it's it's really interesting how individuals who are passionate about end of life are trying diligently to find other ways to get artists involved, to approach death and dying in a more creative way, to, to engage people, to lessen the fear. That's what arts are for, right? We have this uh, incorrect preconception that Arts are purely decorative or pretty or something that we should fit in a certain sized wall. And uh, the art that's really moved me um, is, it has an effect uh, similar to what religion has on someone. And, and I think that is, that's our role as artists, to disrupt things, to affect change. And, and while this exhibit um, 
is incredibly inspiring and, and life-affirming, it's also disruptive. It does shake things up. You leave and you're moved um, because it's, it's all of our stories. I could have called it beautiful reflections on a life well-lived, but no, it's called right before I die because that means several things. And, um, and I want to shake things up. Well, I think you are. This is a traveling exhibit. Talk to me a little bit about that aspect. And if someone wants to bring your exhibit to their community, how do they go about it? I would love for this show to travel and be seen by more people. Again, that's, that's kind of like the sun that recharges my solar panels. What I am looking for is a big public space, either a museum, a cathedral, or an art center of some sort that has tall ceilings, that has enough gallery space, that has a lot of foot traffic where people will see it, where there's a place that uh, lends itself to quiet contemplation. That's what I've loved about the three venues so far, and the cathedral especially, and also actually the... Um, seven or eight hundred year old building in Belgium, you go in there and it's quiet and you feel small, but in an enjoyable way because you're marveling at how overwhelming and, and graceful and beautiful everything around you is. And it's it's this sort of it's this sort of receptive mindset that allows us to take in this information and really um, shuffle around um, who we are and what we're thinking and, and possibly make adjustments and tweaks and recalibrate. That is absolutely what my intention was to do with this. So do they contact you through the website to ask these questions? Yeah, uh, please. Uh, if, if there are public institutions, uh, university museums or city museums that are interested, and again, it can go in all sorts of different Use. Um, I was even thinking a natural history museum. Please have them contact me at rightbeforeidie.com. There's a contact section, and I would love to see this travel. That is really my goal for this, and that is one of my objectives. Because, as they say about trees falling in the forest, if you have a show and people don't see it, then it hasn't done its job. And this has proven to me that um, people do respond to it. People find it incredibly rewarding, and I would like to share that with more and more people. So it is go to the website rightbeforeidie.com, and so contact you personally. I hope to see this exhibit traveling. I really do, and I hope my hometown is a part of that traveling exhibit. I think what you're doing is extraordinary, and I think that your message is so real and authentic, and I will say thank you so much for doing it in a way that I've never seen before, but also for joining me today to talk in a way that not a lot of people in the death and dying industry are talking. And because I think you bring a, a different perspective and I really do appreciate that. It has been my pleasure, Kimberly. Love doing this and support your show. And this has all been really a lot of fun and I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.